Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, Data and Information Management in Remote and Virtual Environments. I'm Stephanie Menefee, and today we're joined by Kirk Caesarly, founder and CEO of Recovery Trek. Kirk, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with us about managing data and information in remote and virtual environments. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm very happy to be with you today and appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and, and your many listeners. Thank you. So in the last few episodes, we've been talking about things unique to businesses and organizations operating either remotely or entirely virtually. And when you break it down, data is a huge, important driver of decision making in organizations. And lots of leaders have found themselves recently having to completely redesign their data and information distribution to their teams. So I feel like this is a really timely discussion. I'm so glad you're here to have it with us. So um, I know you've got 20 plus years experience in information and technology management, and I'm really excited to get to your perspective on data and information in the remote and virtual world. But to get us started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and Recovery Trek? Absolutely. I sure will. And as you said, I do have about 20 years in, uh, in IT or information technology. And in today's environment, I think that kind of means I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, yet uh, I'm still pretty young. Uh, in age and at heart, but I actually started my career uh, after doing some extensive travel around the country. Uh, right after college, I spent time traveling and knew I wanted to get into a space that gave me the opportunity to be creative and, and solve problems. I just didn't know what that was going to be. But at that time, there was something called the internet that was uh, growing and gaining popularity. Uh, so I spent about three months teaching myself web development. My father actually was kind enough to buy me a, a pretty nice computer set up and uh, let me learn on my own. And I began building websites for local businesses. Um, and after about a year, it really became apparent that a plain website just wasn't, it wasn't exciting enough. That was being done all over the place. So, you know, I, I realized it had to be dynamic and that meant connecting the sites I was building to a database and serving up information that other or all the end users of those sites wanted. And this just happened to be the early days of what we now call e-commerce, you know, think Amazon and, and similar sites like that. You know, after a year or so of doing this, I took a job for a software company and we were building web applications. And back then I quickly worked my way up through the organization like others were doing. It was very quick and easy for folks to jump between jobs, jump between companies. And although it's a little tougher today, there's still lots of opportunities like that, of course. But that gave me the ability to hold several positions, different IT positions, and eventually an executive role. Um, and that piqued my interest uh, working with these different types of companies. Uh, my main focus really became on healthcare. I just felt that was the place where uh, the technology that I knew and that I was interested in could could make the most impact and support what uh, I thought was going to be a better or more successful delivery of care. So about nine years ago, after working for a few different healthcare companies, I decided that was the right time for me to start my company called Recovery Trek. And as the saying goes, you know, I had the intention of building the better mousetrap. Uh, Recovery Trek is essentially a technology solution provider, and we offer and provide an information management platform for healthcare providers. And, and these providers are those that specifically work with patients with substance use disorder, which is essentially addiction, uh, drugs, or alcohol. And our software allows the, these providers to manage case files, manage data, 
on their patients. And we do that in a cloud environment. Uh, and we do this uh, and help them manage the information through all the various stages that their patients go through, addiction, treatment, and then ultimately into what's referred to as recovery. And that's, uh, that's really where our name is based, uh, Recovery Trek, uh, meaning uh, recovery from addiction is a long, arduous journey, and, and that's the simple definition of the word trek. Uh, we also provide a drug and alcohol testing program, and that's where we specifically monitor the patients that we work with on a daily basis. And we do this to determine if, if they're at risk for relapse or if they actually have relapse. So as you might guess, we work with thousands of treatment providers and patients every day. So we have a huge, uh, a very, very huge necessity to properly manage a lot of data. Uh, over the last few years, we've developed more of our tools to operate in the mobile application space, meaning you know, our customers access the majority of our tools via their smartphones. Um, so we're in a, a virtual environment uh, really all day long. And the primary reason for this drive has been to meet the needs of the customers, the end users, and the treatment providers, the patients, where they are living every day, all day. Um, that's, as I said earlier, essentially a remote or virtual environment. Uh, we found over time, and particularly now with the COVID-19 pandemic, that our customers aren't always in the same place, yet they need to connect, uh, they need to share information, and they need to work together no matter where they're located. Um, so this approach has been very important for us here at Recovery Trek. And how we serve our customers is, uh, I didn't mention earlier, but we, uh, we are working with folks in 42 different states around the country, yet we only maintain one office located where I'm at today in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself and about Recovery Trek. Um, you know, I, it's interesting that you're talking about this cloud-based data, everybody being mobile. Um, you know, I keep seeing articles about how remote and virtual teams are better with using data to drive decision-making, mainly because they're forced to come up with a way to creatively and succinctly share that information. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, you know, is there a learning curve to data literacy in the online environment? My feeling is that, and as you well said, teams are, are being driven to operate in a virtual environment because that's where business has evolved over the last few years. And that's primarily been due, in my opinion, to the efficiencies virtual offices have in terms of costs and other resources. There's just a lot to save there. Um, however, with the current times, COVID-19 pandemic, it's become a, a requirement that isn't solely driven by business decisions, that is to be in a virtual environment. And instead, today, it's currently about maintaining a self, uh, safe excuse me, and healthy workforce. Um, so the requirements for it, the necessity for it is, is definitely changing, and I don't think it's going to, uh, to stop. Um, in terms of data literacy, you know, I, it's all really, for me, about how a team, specifically the team members, that is, how they read, understand, create, and communicate data as meaningful information to the organization. So I believe the information is essentially the same. It's just that the methodology and the tools of manage it have become very different. Uh, so the learning curve to me is really about using the available tools and, and some examples like we see in the news, particularly again around the pandemic times, might be like Zoom meetings or Skype or even Microsoft Teams. And in the past, these platforms, they were really just used to simply conduct a meeting where everyone could 
you know, quote unquote, see one another. Uh, maybe you couldn't travel or uh, it just was more, uh, uh, more efficient to be able to do this online. But now they're used not just to host a meeting and talk about things, but to actually collaborate or, or complete a task or complete a project. And in other words, to get work started and to get it completed and do that all while you're online together. Uh, to bring this kind of to home at Recovery Trek, we provide a customized software application, as I mentioned. Um, and instead of doing all our development offline and then emailing our customers links on how to review or how to test the work we're doing, we bring our team, our development team, our internal team here, as well as our customers into a virtual meeting. And we look at the project together and we do this in real time. So we end up presenting the software project together. We end up testing it together and we even make changes and updates while we're in the online meeting. So as you might guess, this has been very beneficial in that we quickly get to an end product and the customer is actually seeing results happen before their eyes, which is exciting. It's really cool to, to see their expressions as, uh, as they see us performing this work before, uh, before their eyes. And so you can probably imagine, too, that their satisfaction with the product and our service overall has been very high. So I would say the short answer is that the learning curve, in my experience, is, has really been more about changing the way we interact with one another uh, and enhancing the way we communicate by using the various uh, virtual meeting platforms as creatively as we possibly can. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, as I'm, I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing, you know, timeliness. Um, and that's a word that keeps coming up lately when we're talking about data you know, across various organizations and platforms and um, lots of organizations going from on ground to online for what seems now to be the long haul, they're having to reimagine the ways they do the the ways they do business in lots of respects. And, you know, this data management and distribution is no exception. And especially when you need to get that data out in almost real time. And I love how you say that, you know, you you're everybody gets together all at once and, you know, everybody can see this happening right in front of their eyes. So, um, you know, do you have any suggestions for organizations making a more permanent pivot uh, or for those looking for a more efficient way to manage and distribute data to their teams? You know, maybe what they could do too? Sure. Um, again, from our experience, our organization has almost always been 100% virtual. Um, you know, since the at-home order started back in March of this year, uh, that was a real easy transition for us. So kind of referencing the, the mention about this being timely. Uh, but we had prepared for this, but didn't really know we were preparing for something like the pandemic. Uh, in our area of the country here on the East Coast, we often have weather events. Hurricanes, of course, can be a really big one. And that can prevent or had prevented our staff from coming into the office. So we were uh, really preparing for a virtual environment from our start. Uh, we didn't have a crystal ball per se, but we just kind of knew that that having that flexibility could be or, or may be one day important. Uh, so one thing that made this simple for us was the hardware and software we put in place for each employee uh, as we grew as an organization. And of course, you don't have to do it from the start. You can do it uh, today, even if you've already been in existence for some time. But, you know, first, what I'm referring to are the computers and the phone systems that we use. You know, shifting to a virtual environment for us was very easy uh, because all of our staff, we use laptops and we use uh, what are referred to as Internet-based or VoIP, voice over Internet-based phones, versus what some uh, might think of as other computers would be desktops or phones with landlines. 
And those can't be easily picked up and used outside the office. So it may sound obvious, but if you're in an organization that has desktop computers and phones that plug into a wall, it's very difficult to shift to a virtual at-home environment without going through a complete upgrade. And of course, that can be costly in terms of both time and money. And so second, uh, we've always operated in a cloud software environment. So I mentioned hardware and software. Uh, and in the cloud software environment, that really means that our data is not kept locally here in our office on servers that we have to constantly upgrade or maintain, which can be time consuming and costly. Uh, instead, our data is hosted on a cloud platform, and that's also where we operate our, our software that we sell to our customers. So anywhere our staff or our customers might be located, whether that's in their office, at home, on travel, they can get to their data as long as they have internet access and the proper security credentials. Um, and with the reliability of internet access today, that's, uh, that's pretty straightforward. So choosing the right cloud provider, you know, some other examples like I gave for virtual meetings, but cloud providers might be examples like Dropbox. Uh, Microsoft has a product called OneDrive or Google Drive. Just a few examples, but these are important uh, and it's very important, excuse me, in terms of the factors that you want to consider when you think about these uh, cost, availability, how accessible they might be. Um, those are things that I think are really important when you pick the one that's going to be best for you. So do you have any specific insight on open source software versus paid? Absolutely. And, and I've been in both environments. Um, as, as we said earlier, with 20 years experience, I've seen a lot of different options. Um, open source is, to me, it's very attractive, um, mainly due to its low cost or no cost option. Uh, there's many free versions of open source uh, so, uh, software out there. Um, and there's a huge ability to be able to customize uh, the software to your liking. So that's great. But that, of course, assumes you have the talent on staff to do the customizations and the enhancements, or if you have a resource you can tap into that is affordable. And uh, as anybody that has experience with technology, you'll know that that's often much easier said than done. It often costs much more uh, than you may think and take much more time. So I've always said that you know, most paid software solutions seem to be very rich to me in their functionality and most likely cover the requirements of a typical organization. They're thinking about this all day long and trying to meet the needs of the community. So they work hard at that. So I tend to lean towards the buy versus uh, build strategy. And in my experience, making small organizational changes so that we as a company can use a ready-made solution, it's often quicker and easier than trying to customize our own system. And of course, we get immediate satisfaction. We get to use it right away versus waiting for the development time. Um, so although your intentions may be you know, good to develop a customized open source solution, time and money involved, it's, it's always much greater than I think you can anticipate. Yeah, I think sometimes we see open source and see the low cost of the actual, you know, platform and think, yes, we're going to save money. And then in the long run, when when we're done, you know, maybe maybe paid was the way to go. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I have to ask, what are or are there security risks to think about with online data management, especially, you know, in the transference of sensitive materials? Security is, in my mind, always the number one concern in managing data, both offline <clears throat> or online. And with online data, management uh, presents a much greater risk and challenge, of course, because 
you're you're open to more uh, uh, vulnerabilities. Of course, access and usability of your data is important. Uh, otherwise, your team and your customers will have a difficult time completing any task or project. But you know, none of that can happen if your environment isn't safe and secure. Uh, so security is also an important consideration in terms of protecting your intellectual property and maintaining the competitive uh, edge. Um, so that's something to consider. But it's equally important in terms of your credibility and your longevity as an organization. Customers or others don't want to work with you if you have had uh, security breaches in the past or have vulnerabilities that they think may be exposed. So that's something to be very cautious about. Um, so your strategy for maintaining a secure environment really is dependent on on the type of data you manage. So, um, And that's particularly important because there could be government requirements for how involved the measures you must take need to be. And of course, in my my view, the best example is if you're an organization and you deal with personal health information, you must and are by law required to meet uh, uh, the requirements set by the government in terms of HIPAA compliance. So I think long story short, I would always suggest that if you if you are going to spend money anywhere. One of your best investments is going to be to engage a security expert if you don't have one on staff already uh, so that they can help you mitigate the risks you may be subject to. Um, you can never do enough upfront planning and it can definitely go a long way if any event does occur. And knowing you've put the right measures in place, that will give you the peace of mind that you need to focus on in terms of the real goals of your organization. So you can stay uh, on point with what your tasks are versus uh, worrying about your risks and vulnerabilities. Yeah, those are actually all great things to think about. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we don't always think ahead to the security piece until something happens. So that's great advice to to get someone, you know, well-versed in security on the team, you know, to kind of preemptively make a plan should anything ever go wrong, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so something else we've been hearing about lately is the need to build opportunities for connection in the virtual environments. I know we're kind of getting a little bit away from the actual data management piece, but um, you know, in, in the face-to-face setting, you could put everyone in a room, give them the data and let them hash it out until the problem solved. But it's, it seems anyway, far more difficult to create that round table feeling. I think a lot of people call it that water cooler feeling uh, when everybody's dispersed and meetings are happening over a computer screen. So do you have any thoughts on using data to build community in remote and virtual teams? I know you talked a little bit about uh, what you guys do at Recovery Trek, which sounds great. Um, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll start with just saying, you know, at first, uh, myself, I, I've always and had been reluctant to be on camera and online meetings and in these spaces, as you mentioned, it just felt odd to me, even even though I've been someone who's worked with technology for quite some time and and have felt I've always adopted the various tools. Um, but I'll tell you, I did quickly realize that it, it wasn't much different really than being in an office space, holding a face-to-face meeting except for everyone's backdrop was a little different. So we get to see your home office or your living room or wherever you choose. Um, And even now with some of the tools such as Zoom, you can even pick a fun backdrop. Uh, You can can appear to be like you're on the moon if you want. 
Um, yeah. And that, of course, is guaranteed to get the, the chatter going at the start of the meeting. Um, so that can always be fun. It can be a little distracting, too. Uh, you can spend too much time thinking and joking around about what uh, backdrop everyone chose. But it definitely can add a little bit of spice to it, if you will, and be an icebreaker, so to speak. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, the COVID-19 pandemic has really essentially made the need for online face-to-face meetings, in my view, a requirement. Um, you know, here at our company, we've been hosting a, a daily check-in online meeting where we can see one another. They only last about 10 minutes, uh, but we use these to check in just to simply see one another, kind of make sure we're still out there, if you will. Uh, it's really helpful in maintaining a connection. That's extremely important as a team. But it also sets the stage for the day. And as you said, you know, I kind of likened it to how you have a few minutes of chatting with the coworkers about your weekend or what you've been doing outside of the office. Like you said, the, uh, the water cooler discussions. So they've worked really well for us, and I'd highly recommend it. But I do recommend keeping them short. Short and sweet is, is I think, the key. Uh, we do host longer uh, and more in-depth online meetings, though. We typically are doing these every other week. And we do this to discuss larger projects. This is as a company uh, to discuss larger projects and call it the state of our organization in terms of the past few weeks or what we see coming up in the next few weeks. And with everything changing as quickly as it has been during the pandemic times, that's been really important just to keep people in the know you know, so they still feel part of the uh, the organization and the process in general. Um I believe seeing you know everyone in a virtual meeting is really helpful in building the community as as an organization because we're able to also have visual clues of how the team feels about what we're discussing or what we're working on, and a phone call just doesn't give you that feedback that we need. And sometimes in person meetings, I think staffs uh, can tend to be more guarded and people are often less likely to speak up. Uh, But I've found that uh, during the online face-to-face meetings, uh, there seems to be a tendency to reduce or remove some of those barriers in the past where teams may have been more reluctant or slower to contribute. So it's been very helpful for us and our team, as well as our customers, have really benefited from the meetings, uh, being online, being uh, on camera, if you will. And they become very comfortable with sharing and collaborating. And as you asked, this is uh, 100% contributed to strengthening our relationships, partnerships, and, and ultimately that means our community. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. And actually, as you were talking about the backgrounds on Zoom, I was thinking about the the new annotation feature too. You know, uh, <laughs> our team has been having a little too much fun with that feature lately. You know, drop a star on the screen and see if anybody can figure out it was you. I would definitely only encourage that in teams who have already built that community though, because you don't want to get yourself in trouble in the middle of a meeting, right? Correct, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kirk, thank you so much for all this fantastic information you've shared with us. Are there any additional pieces of advice or bits of wisdom you could leave us with today pertaining to data information management or commu- you know, community building and remote and virtual organizations? Uh, I believe really the best advice is to encourage as much use of the platforms uh, available. And that's whichever you pick. Uh, some of the examples I gave earlier, and there's many, many more, of course, um, but to use these to, you know, to share your data, to interact with one another is, is an important element. Um, 
and just to make sure that the team has the proper tools and something we really haven't talked much about, but I think is uh, is a very call it a piece of wisdom, as you said, is to make sure that the staff has the proper training to use them as well. Um, I mentioned, uh, you know, hardware and software earlier. Um, so I'd go back to that real quick and say, you know, I know it's very frustrating if you need to be on an online meeting, but your computer is older and not fast enough to support the virtual environment. So you need to make sure that that is, is as good as it can be. And if the team isn't confident, meaning they don't have the proper training in how to use these tools, which can be very new to some uh, staff members, they'll shy away from them and you won't get the usage and adoption that's truly necessary. So. You know, long story short, I think a simple investment in your infrastructure, which starts with enhancing the knowledge of the team and then the tools they need to use uh, to use them. It goes a long way in, in successfully operating in a virtual environment and building the community within your organization that is invaluable for what we all want and hope and that's sustainable long-term success. I agree 100%. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights, and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you as well, Stephanie. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and uh, look forward to another time in the future. Yes, definitely. Definitely.